0: Up until like 8 p.m. on Sunday night, I was like, I'm not doing this. And then I was like, I'm going to do it. I can't help myself.
2: Knowing what he actually looks like in real life, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get past the long blonde hair.
0: One of the things I want to talk about was the dragons. That was Lost
2: of dragons in the first episode. Big fan. What will the memes be? Will, will there be gifts? Will there be memes from this show?
0: Welcome to the big stream. I am Liam McEwen of the big lead here today with Stephen Douglas. And we are very pleased to be the first and the only podcast to be reviewing House of the Dragon, HBO's first Game of Thrones spinoff. It premiered last night, despite the insistence of many Game of Thrones fans that they would never watch another piece of HBO-produced Game of Thrones content after the immense disappointment that was the end of Game of Thrones. Most of us still watched it. I know I was a part of that group, where up until like 8 p.m. on Sunday night, I was like, I'm not doing this. And then I was like, I'm going to do it. I can't help myself. Generally positive uh, vibes from the first episode, I think, broadly speaking, but we're going to dig into it. Uh, Stephen, let's walk through our, uh, you know, our mindset, our initial impressions here.
2: I was one of the people that was very hurt by the uh, season eight of Game of Thrones. It was just one of the greatest crash landings in the history of television, just throwing away all the goodwill they built up over a decade. I wasn't too excited about any of the uh, planned sequels, spinoffs, prequels that they've been talking about, but as it drew near, I I talked about this with Kyle last week, how it's kind of a testament to Game of Thrones legacy that this is a show that I feel like people were uh, anticipating. People were talking about, there was a little lead up, you know, when it got here, you know, it felt like, yeah, it's Sunday night. I should be watching Game of Thrones. And I think that a lot of people felt the same way. So it, it it seems like it's gotten good reviews so far. The first episode was, I mean, it was good enough. It felt and looked like Game of Thrones just with people we've never seen before. It's, I'm going to watch it. You know, they, that's, that's half the battle for them. Just getting us to come back like abused puppies. And, you know, here we are ready to uh, break down Game of Thrones in podcast form after I Spent like five or six years doing written recaps.
0: The times, they are a change. in. I think there was a certain level of comfort being, you know, back on the couch watching the Game of Thrones music or hearing the Game of Thrones music after their short hiatus, even with the bad memories that did accompany it. But for those who don't know, this is a prequel series. It takes place. 172 years before the events of game of thrones as was very specifically outlined in the in uh, in the introduction yeah. which i thought was very funny i acknowledge why they did that most of the people are nearly plugged into the you know mainstream as we at the big stream are and uh so you know gotta gotta lay it out nice and simple for everybody uh we have a new cast of characters as steven mentioned we are focused on the Targaryen family, the ancestors of Daenerys, and really the, I think, great-great-grandparents or great-grandparents, I'm not sure because I didn't read the book, of the final king of the Targaryen line who was overthrown by Robert Baratheon and the Starks. Uh, So far, it seems that we have really our main trio here is King Viserys, Prince Daemon, and Princess Rhaenyra. your usual assortment of shady side characters. My initial impressions from the first episode were that I think they really wanted to remind everybody why they liked Game of Thrones. There was an overt amount of blood and gore. Some of it was, you know, your classic Game of Thrones violence. Some of it was yet again gratuitous and left you basically watching the screen through your fingers, especially... The C-section that happened on screen, didn't love that. But that's Game of Thrones for you. Uh, There was some palace intrigue. They really, I mean, I think this show and the first episode indicated that is going to be a lot more quick-paced than the original seasons of Game of Thrones, which followed the books pretty closely. And the books, people who read it know, are very much slow burns I don't think this one is going to be as much as a slow burn. They kind of did everything they did in the first season of Game of Thrones in like the first episode of House of the Dragon. You set up your main players, you set up your potential conflicts, and that's pretty much they, they got right to the point. So I appreciated that much at least. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Prince Damon seems to be set up as the central villain of the plot, and played by Matt Smith, who is very famous for things I have never watched, Uh, is really good as him. That was a great, uh, great premiere for him, I felt. And I think that, you know, classic... Very Game of Thronesy, like battle over you know uh, the heir to the throne thing is going to be good. But it, it the, one of the interesting things they did was set up kind of the relationship between Princess Rhaenyra, who was announced as heir at the end of the first episode, with Prince Damon. It seems like she admires him admires her uncle. There's a little bit of uh, a little bit of Targaryen incest tension there. I think you know? uh, I'm not sure how you know upfront they're going to be with that sort of thing uh they were obviously not shy about it in the original game of thrones but now that they don't really have they they're still following a book but they're not you know it's not the same thing maybe they shy away from it we'll see what they do there but that is seems to be going to be the central conflict of the show going forward steven your thoughts
2: yeah uh matt smith he's he seems like he might be maybe the most uh famous maybe the biggest imdb page of anybody in the Game of Thrones universe from when it started, like thinking back to uh, season one of Game of Thrones, there are a lot of familiar faces, but nothing quite like a, a Doctor Who and a guy who was on Downton Abbey. Knowing what he actually looks like in real life, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get past the long blonde hair. That's the same thing with uh, King Viserys, like also knowing him, the long blonde hair, it just kind of looks ridiculous cuz you know in the in the first one when that was Viserys as well and uh Danny we we had no idea who those people were they weren't they were not uh household names household faces as it were so the fact that they aren't really blonde with uh shoulder length blonde hair didn't really throw you off it's it, i mean it, it's good it's just you talk about the pacing and with not having the uh, extensive books to go by, then this, this is going to be written a lot more like a uh, regular TV show. Um, they're not going to; ha- they don't have all that that rich material to fall back on and work out. So, I mean, we and the big thing is that we know where where it's all going. We know how it ends. This is what Better Call Saul had to uh, deal with. And, you know, they were able to do something that was kind of unheard of to actually land it. They mentioned the, a song of fire and ice. They mentioned the, the long night where this eventually ends, which we just saw. And so it's like all this is kind of just history. So as good as it is, it's just they're just not going to be able to do this, uh, make it as important as Game of Thrones seemed before it fell apart.
0: But I also think they kind of needed to throw you into the fire, as it were, in the first episode like that, because the, you know, the hardcore fan base that makes up the foundation of these shows, we're not, we're going to have more trouble, I would say, getting on board with the same kind of slow uh, unrolling that the original game of thrones was i think they really needed to hit the mark with this first episode i mean first impressions are always important for any new show even if it's you know based off of an original property but this one in particular for obvious reasons needed to give you a reason to watch next week and i think they did i think that you know the way that they structured the conflict like i stated before makes sense it's not difficult to understand and there's like you know, obvious paths that these people can go down. And there will be twists and turns, I'm sure, but there isn't necessarily hidden motive in the same way that the first couple of seasons of game of games of yeah, the first couple of seasons of Game of Thrones had. But I don't think that's a bad thing, mostly because I, like many, was, you know, displeased with the way that the last show ended. So if they're going to do something, they might as well do it a little bit different. And so they did do it a little bit different this time. Um, One of the things I want to talk about was the dragons. There was lots of dragons in the first episode. Big fan. Uh, CGI, it looks like they didn't drop off much in terms of their uh, budget on that front. I thought the dragons were cool. There was the one time the dragons breathed fire. The fire looked really cheap, which was kind of weird considering how much fire they blew in like the last season of Game of Thrones. And it all looked really awesome. And this looked like very much less awesome. But uh, King's Landing looked outstanding. There was that there were uh, the set pieces I thought were really good as well. You know, there was some familiarity, but it was still clear that this was very much a different time and a different place. And each environment was unique. That's what I really enjoyed about Game of Thrones, uh, just as a concept when they were filming when they did the TV show, was that each scene you looked at, you could pretty much guess like where they were whether it was what is now what is known as king's landing in game of thrones it's obvious in terms of you know you can look at a scene and you can guess where they are whether it's you know it's Harrenhal, hall which will become king's landing you know or different parts of Harrenhal. hall i thought it was all i thought you know when it comes to the non-plot aspects of game of thrones i thought they did really well and i think that's not necessarily the toughest mark to land, per se, but just in terms of when you're returning to this universe, you really want to kind of, you want some familiarity. And in the realm of, you know, how well the show was produced, I think that they haven't missed a step, which will go a long way.
2: Yeah, yeah it definitely felt like Game of Thrones again, which I feel like if we if we do this podcast every week, that's... Like half of what we're going to talk about is like it, we're just going to be comparing it to Game of Thrones. That is, it's it's going to be a blessing and a curse for the show. I mean, it's got this built-in audience, but also it's already as as no matter how good it is, it's going to turn people off. Like uh, one one certain person who uh, works in our virtual office uh, suggested calling the podcast "House of Losers" uh, because. It just it, it does, it's not going to sit right with some people. I don't like how many ideas they have for the, all those spinoffs that they haven't shot them all down, yet, shot a lot of them down yet. I mean, when we were like in season six of Game of Thrones and it was on top of the world and everybody loved it. They had all these ideas and George R. 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 Martin still hasn't even finished his books. And that's and that is what made the the show so great originally was the source material. No matter how well they do, it's just not going to be the same. I'm sure that it will be worth it for HBO and to go forward with other properties. And hopefully George Martin, he is able to uh, be involved somehow and hopefully land the plane this time, I guess.
0: I promised myself I would not use this space to complain about the lack of progress on the final two books of A Song of Ice and Fire, so I will not. However, I will say that I rolled my eyes pretty hard during the little prophecy when Viserys was telling Rhaenyra about the the end-of-the-world, you know, cataclysm that they foresee happening. I understand why they did that. That's the only connection they're probably going to make to the events of the final season of Game of Thrones, which will be to their benefit. Now, as I previously stated, we have our three main players here, but as always with Game of Thrones... The side characters and the cast that surrounds our main players are going to be just as important, just as devious, and just as crucial to moving the plot forward as... are are King Viserys, Prince Daemon, and Princess Rhaenyra. Now, I think Otto Hightower is going to be a subject of much discussion. The King's Hand, who Viserys insists is one of the most honorable men he's ever known, but is the same man who told his daughter to go sleep with the King while wearing one of her mother's dresses while she's at it. It's unclear if that actually did happen. I think there's some implication that maybe it did, not totally sure, I think
2: I think I think it's pretty clear it did not because we did not see it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot. There's going to be a lot of telling. Uh, sex or violence took place in this show. There's going to be a lot of showing. As you mentioned, the the C section was one of the most one of the more brutal things, along with just the destruction of skulls at the the uh, tournament. I mean, they are they're not going to half ass it in this show. They... That's
0: a great point. That's a very good point. I was very, I was thrown off by the destruction of skulls at the uh, air of the turn, the tournament of the air, because I just, I mean, you know, one second they're just jousting, and then suddenly people's skulls are getting crushed by axes, and we have shields being used to cut off people's heads. It was, it that was pretty wild. But you were very right. There, this show is all about the Game of Thrones. Conceptually, is about showing not telling so if he didn't if uh, the king did not sleep with high hightower on screen it's like the you know it's like the on-screen death thing like if you don't see it it probably didn't happen well that's mm-hmm. going to be the same thing for game of thrones with murder and sex essentially but it does seem that Alicent is going to have a growing role in the show as the confidant of the now heir as well as being forced into becoming a political power player by her father and then you have uh what seems to be their version of a military commander lord corliss valerian who is married to Rhaenys, who did not end up getting the throne when it was between her and viserys 10 years before the main events of the first episode i think he's probably one to keep an eye on if we're making predictions here which isn't any surprise because he appears to be the only one in the uh, in the room with the king who has any sort of handle on military exploits, things of that nature. And then the uh, the unexpected character, the classic peasant fighter that we all grew to love in the regular Game of Thrones universe, Sir Kristen Cole, who beat Damon in the uh, tournament, which ended far better than I thought was going to end. I thought Damon was going to kill that man. Uh, so that's pretty much it I mean these are you know I think they have pretty much every element you're looking for when it comes to you know some palace intrigue and then you have your you know um, different people who could you know go one way or the other you didn't really get that much of an indication in the first episode about who's with Viserys and who's not Uh, but it'll be you know I think that the casting as you said the casting is a little odd just in the sense that they have established actors in uh, a couple of roles which was a big change from the original game of thrones outside of sean bean uh but otherwise i mean there's re- i think there's reason for optimism everybody's going to have a uh, cautious skepticism about it just because getting super invested into a game of thrones show isn't something everybody wants to do again but for for what it is which is kind of a prequel about the downfall of house targaryen it you know i think there's 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 a there's there's a good foundation to work on
2: yeah uh back to the dragons uh i think it was interesting that when they had all the dragons they had dragon shepherds it appears which is a little interesting that just i mean it's hilarious that they're all covered in soot the dragons just obey them apparently as they walk quietly into their caves I think Graham McTavish, who plays uh, Sir Harold Westerling, he's like, he's the bald guy with the beard that seems to be tight with the uh, princess. I think he is a uh, likely fan favorite. Just, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Outlander, but he's, he's a fun actor. I think he'll be, I think he'll steal some of the scenes. He's got that Sir Jorah thing going on. Yeah, the dragons, uh, I think we basically saw two dragons, right? We saw the um, Princess Rhaenyra, how do you say her name? Rhaenyra? Rhaenyra,
0: Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra,
2: Rhaenyra. yeah, uh, struggling with names is something that, I mean, at least we're going to do. The more professional podcasts will probably have uh, voice coach or dialect coaches (laughs) uh, working with them on the uh, Westerosi. Uh, accents. We're but, the
0: Working Man's production.
2: Yeah, so, like I, I I mentioned before that I think we're gonna struggle with a lot of these names, cause. but I think that that's what would have happened originally with Game of Thrones, and we grew to know them all very well, and can now spell Daenerys, and we probably all know a kid named Arya in our lives. For now, I think that the show will continue to be solid and you know it as much pain as it caused originally i think it is nice to have a game of thrones back in our lives and it, it is a communal thing i think it's an unexpected continuation of what was thought to be the last like appointment viewing show
0: yeah i think the communal aspect is what will draw a lot of people back even if it's to collectively complain about the different avenues that this show will take and like we said before, the comfort of Game of Thrones is is, is nice. Now, to talk about one thing I am unsure how the show is going to deal with is something that you mentioned previously, which is that we all know where this is headed broadly. You know, we all know what happens in 172 years when Daenerys is born, but we also know what happens when Aegon the Mad King ends up taking the throne. He's going to get overthrown, and I don't think the show is going to stretch to that point. But shows about the, like, epic downfall of... You know, in this case, a ruling family, it's going to be a little bit harder for people to root for certain characters, I think. Like in the original Game of Thrones, you were inclined to root for the starts because they were all about honor and they didn't want to get involved in the political machinations of the throne and King's Landing and all that stuff. And there were like obvious characters who seemed to be better than the environment around them. And sometimes that proved not to be true, but there were obvious choices of uh, they were either victims or they tried to stand above the fray. Uh, so far in house of the dragon, there doesn't really seem to be that sort of thing because it focuses in on the current ruling family who have everything, but people are going to come after them as a result. And so I am interested to see how the showrunners try to build up some sympathy For the Targaryens, when they have a certain well-earned reputation of being successful, but fairly brutal rulers, and we know that everything comes crashing down for them real hard in about three generations. Uh So I think that's probably going to be the overarching kind of what I'm going to be looking at is... How are the showrunners going to want us to root for Rhaenyra? They already started to do that with her whole, and this is, this reminded me very much of Prey, which we reviewed previously on this year podcast, where she is a woman in a world where only men rule, but she wants to be more than simply a, a royal womb, as her mother so aptly and depressingly put it. And so there will be that certain element of like, uh, you know, the woman breaks out of the shell that these ancient times force her to be in. But I don't think that's enough when she's going to be riding dragons and probably making some pretty brutal decisions, depending on how quickly they accelerate the plot and put her on the uh, throne, which may or may not happen. But we will see on that front. I think that that for me is going to be it because you can't feel bad for the current king. He did just kill his wife. Even if you understand the angle that the de- of that decision, that is ultimately what cursed this family and what caused their downfall was him killing his wife to try to get his heir. And then the heir ends up dying, which was a very jarring moment. And actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, does a little bit contradict what we said previously about the show, you know, showing and not telling. They did just kind of kill off the heir. And the you know like the only way they showed that was having the uh, the son wrapped in the same mummified sort of thing that the wife was, and then Rhaenyra mentions it to Damon. So I thought that was kind of a weird decision. But overall, I think that's going to be one of the interesting uh, you know show aspects: is how are they going to drum up some sort of uh, some sort of fanship outside of simply the woman taking power aspect
2: yeah i don't i think that they kind of did show and there was only there were two ways that that birth could have gone it's a girl or it's a boy and what happened happened and i think they kind of showed like either a nurse or a maester somebody holding the baby and reacting to something we know that the conflict has to come from rhaenyra becoming the heir. So I, I was not shocked by that. You know, maybe you were on your phone or something, you know, but not paying attention like a good podcaster, but I, I was, I was not shocked to see what happened. And I don't know. So I think it has to come back down to just creating these uh, enjoyable characters. Uh, The funny, I mean, you need somebody like Tyrion who's just, hilarious you need a brawn you need people like that that you, you like the idea of like hanging out with them if you were stuck in the middle middle ages forest or whatever with the dragons. I'm going to give it a shot and I'm ready to be I'm I'm ready to be heard again but I don't think this show will have the capacity to do so.
0: Yep. I'm of the same mindset. I'm ready to be heard again as well, but at the end of the day, nothing will compare to the time that we
2: all invested in the original Game of Thrones
0: and the ultimate disappointment.
2: It, it just could so- will What will the memes be? Will, will there be gifts? Will there be memes from this show? That is going to be just as big as the viewership if this wants to be continue to have Game of Thrones be part of the zeitgeist. I mean, you had, I mean, just the winter is coming. And all that stuff, stuff that like we adopted and just enjoyed and were able to incorporate in our daily online lives. The show needs to generate that stuff if it wants to be a true worthy successor to Game of Thrones.
0: That is actually a tremendous point. The hashtag meme watch is going to be a good cultural indicator of where it is in the zeitgeist. I will say, I personally checked Twitter after uh, the episode premiered. The hashtag H O T D, and it was lacking. There was some. There was some good memes, but I think overall the online engagement wasn't really where you would expect it to be obviously it's never going to reach the same level that game of thrones was at the end of its final season that was something that we may honestly never see again because that was everybody everywhere in the world basically watching the show and tweeting about it and making these memes about it and that level of cultural relevance is almost impossible to ascertain in today's you know today's world where everybody has something to watch but it will be, frankly, a good indicator of how how pe- how engaged people are in House of the Dragon. Uh, initially, didn't seem like a ton, but if it ends up being a good show on its own, I think that there's uh, a lot of room for improvement on that front. So, Stephen, for the first episode, we will give it a ranking, as we always do at the end of this podcast. I would put the first episode of House of the Dragon at a 3 out of 5. I think... This, uh, there was a lot of uh, foundation laid for a good television series. There is no clear way right now that it is going to become great. And I don't know if great is possible to reach given the overall attitude towards Game of Thrones. But I also think that for a spin off series, it could have been much worse. I feel comfortable with three out of five. I will be watching next week.
2: Well. Oh. I'm I'm sick of agreeing with Kyle. I'm I'm not gonna start agreeing with you all the time. So I'll just give it a two and a half. Um I go ahead and make it a cold take. Come on, yeah, come on, see, and I'm just gonna call it Game of Thrones. Come on, House of Drag House of the Dragon, House of Losers. Let's make me eat my words and go back and look at the pilot and say, wow, that actually really was well done and laid the foundation for a lot you've got big shoes to fill and just by if they really do have like a 3 or 4 season plan for this show and they are set on it and can just do it well and land it um it, it'll be very impressive and i hope they do cuz you know i i did like uh the world of game of thrones so I'm 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 happy to be wrong, but it, it was a it was a fine pilot. Uh, if you want to rip it apart, you can. If you want to just turn your mind off and live in the world of dragons for an hour every week, that's okay too. Yeah, so we'll probably be back next week, and hopefully, we'll have something to talk about besides Game of Thrones.
0: That would be optimal. The comparisons will always be there, but that will be the central quest of the show that we'll be watching which is, can it separate itself enough from the original Game of Thrones to be talked about as its own entity instead of just being eternally compared in every conversation about it? Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the latest episode of The Big Stream. I am Liam McEwen. This was Stephen Douglas, and we will definitely see you next week.